So welcome to the Quark Methods podcast, where we will discuss interesting methodological developments in applied qualitative health research. My name's Alan Simpson. I'm Professor of Mental Health Nursing at King's College London, and I'm Deputy Director of Quark, which is the Qualitative Applied Health Research Centre at King's. It's new, it's got a buzzy name, and it's got a good website. In this episode, we're going to explore the use of experience-based co-design and combining this with the use of the behavior change wheel to develop a complex intervention in healthcare. If this sounds like gobbledygook to you, then you've come to the right place because we're going to find out more. We're joined this morning by uh, Sarah McAllister, who is a National Institute of Health Research Clinical Doctoral Research Fellow, and she's working in the Florence Nightingale Faculty of Nursing, Midwifery and Palliative Care at King's College London. Sarah's also a mental health nurse and her PhD is focused on co-designing interventions for mental health nursing and acute mental health wards and we'll hear a bit more about that in a moment. So Sarah, welcome. Hi, hi Alan. (laughs) And can you tell us first of all, uh, what's the focus of your PhD and why you chose to research that? Um, So my PhD uh, uses collaborative methods, uh, like you said, called experience-based co-design um, to bring service users, carers and staff together to co-design um, an intervention to improve therapeutic engagement between nurses and service users uh, in a nutshell. Okay, thank you. And any particular reason why you decided to focus on that? So I guess uh, really my clinical experience as a mental health nurse is really what first of all got me uh, sort of interested in the topic of therapeutic engagement. Um, You know, as a mental health nurse, I went into nursing so that I could interact with service users and deliver kind of one-to-one therapeutic interventions. And I found, you know, that my time, although, you know, I did have time to do that, a lot of time also was spent away from service users and I always found that was a bit of a bone of contention between nurses and service users. You know, service users wanted us to spend more time with them. And as nurses, we also wanted to spend more time with them, but that didn't always happen. It, it just felt wrong as a mental health nurse. I couldn't spend as much time as I wanted to with service users. Um, and I found out that a long-standing problem dating back to like about the 1960s, you know, this lack of engagement. And there had been very many interventions implemented to uh, try to improve engagement either. So I thought, you know, my PhD might try to change that. That's great. Thank you very much. Now, as you say, it's a long-standing challenge in, in mental health care, mental health nursing, isn't it, yeah. to improve engagement. So, so now you decided to employ an approach called experience-based co-design, or EBCD for short. Can you tell us what that is? Is it a method? Is it a methodology? And, and why did you think it would be useful in this study? Basically, EBCD is a really sort of grassroots uh, collaborative research method, um, and it really puts the service user's voice uh, sort of at the heart of service improvements. Um, It brings service users, carers and staff together to co-design improvements to services uh, in equal and active partnership with each other. Uh, This begins with setting up the project. Then you gather staff and service user experiences through narrative interviews, um, and then you bring service users and staff uh, and carers together um, into what they call a joint co-design event where um, they start uh, sort of, you know, thinking about how to improve, um, you know, the area that you want to improve um, and uh, kind of just discuss um, 
uh, like sort of their experiences and things. Um, and then once you've kind of developed uh, the service or developed the intervention, um, then you uh, finally celebrate the successes by bringing everybody together and sort of showcasing to the whole trust. Um, and I think it, it's quite cool because it uses some really novel methods in order to do this. So I think one of the most interesting parts uh, that I found was that um, you get to conduct these filmed narrative interviews with service users, and then you create what's called a trigger film. And then this gets shown to staff and service users uh, at the joint co-design event. And I think it's really quite, you know, a powerful and moving way, you know, to first of all, have the service user's voice heard, but then also uh, to show the staff exactly service users experience their service. That sounds really, really interesting. So could you just tell me a little bit more about that, how you actually did that then, working with people using services? How did you actually do that? So basically, um, you know, I recruited, um, uh, uh, what was it, 14 service users and two carers um, from people who had already had um, at least one inpatient admission from the trust. Then you know, we set up a time to do interviews with all of these people um, and kind of took them through like the process. So explained to them, you know, that it was going to be filmed and make sure that they were OK with this. We sent them a copy of the interview transcript beforehand so that they could kind of prepare answers, because obviously, you know, it can be quite nerve wracking having a camera in front of your face. Um, and then, um, you know, I was just there to support them sort of in any way that they might need it. Um, and then, you know, went into a private room, set the camera up and, you know, asked them some questions and, and off we went. And then in terms of uh, like actually making this trigger film, uh, it was quite a collaborative process between me and the service users. So I sort of reviewed all of the, all of the films and then pulled out uh, like the main bits or what we call touch points. So the parts that I thought were sort of really emotionally significant uh, to the service users. Um, I worked with a film editing company who sent uh, who I who I sent the films to. Then they took out those touch points, which I then sent back uh, to the service users, and uh, kind of like a back and forth process to get this this whole film together. So really, very a very very collaborative process all, yes. all throughout of that. Yeah. And and so then this this film this trigger film gets uh, shown to to staff, and um, and how did they respond to this? So I think, um, you know, it was, it was really, really quite moving. Um, it, was, it was quite nerve wracking because a lot of the film, you know, it, it showed good things, but it also showed, you know, some, you know, not so positive things as well. Um, so we weren't quite sure initially how staff might feel about that. But, um, you know, I think they took it on board very well. And I think a lot of the times they actually recognized some of those things within their practice. And, you know, it really opened up this great open discussion between the service users and staff on the day. Um, and, you know, people were coming up to me afterwards kind of saying, you know, it was such a fantastic experience. Mm. You know, it really made them sort of see things from the service users' perspective that maybe they hadn't have really thought about before seeing the film. Fantastic. Now, the big question is... Um, what what came from that did were there any developments any any changes yeah so we've basically we um throughout the whole process we have co-designed um an intervention to or an intervention toolkit to improve therapeutic engagement um and it's got sort of four broad components um and i think what was quite interesting is that <clears throat> initially 
I was thinking that maybe there would be like some sort of a training program or something like that because you know that kind of is generally what comes from a lot of these processes but having the input of the service users there were so many ideas that I hadn't have even thought of you know at the start that actually came out of this so an example was um you know one of the elements of the toolkit we have um like uh, quarterly uh, events where staff and service users get together and they you know have sort of these open discussions about the about you know services and how to improve it so improvements can continue you know past the life of this project um, and we also co-designed this really snazzy little workbook um, and it had all sorts of like exercises to help in engage therapeutically with each other um, and there was an emotions wheel in there. So if service users kind of have difficulty articulating difficult emotions, they can look at this emotions wheel and sort of choose some of the words from that so that they can sort of converse with the nurses. And it was all illustrated by a professional illustrator. So, yeah. So lots of really innovative ideas. And as you say, things that perhaps um, we wouldn't have come up with. And, and, and I think that's the key to this, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it was definitely surprising some of the things that they came up with. And although there was a training element in there, I think, you know, that was combined with so many other kind of, yeah, cool little things. Thank you. That's a really nice summary of that experience-based co-design. Um, obviously, there's a lot, lot more to it. And I know you're producing a lot of papers on the back of this research. And I think anyone interested would be wise to have a look at some of those publications and some of the wider literature and we'll link to some of that on on the quark website but i just wondered for you you've perhaps touched on some of this but what have been the most rewarding bits and have there been any particular challenges so obviously i think you know the most rewarding bit for me was getting to work closely with my group of service users and you know just basically seeing these ideas of theirs come to life in this intervention toolkit um and you know i guess also i really really loved making the trigger film it was you know i guess very different from what you know you'd normally expect to do in terms of a research project and i think getting to learn how to use all of the camera equipment and you know i even got to spend two days in a studio with a production company doing voiceover work and things like that um so that was great and then just just the staff reactions i think seeing the film you know I could really see that it moved them and you know there's been requests you know constant requests from the trust that you know they want the film they want to show it to staff so you know it feels like it really actually you know can make a difference fantastic and any major challenges um so yeah i think obviously this process it's quite an in-depth process and definitely uh, the biggest challenge by far was um i guess enabling or trying to enable staff to be engaged i think EBCD is quite different from sort of, you know, the usual methods that you might use. The whole project really can take up to a year to complete. So it's quite intense and it's quite a lot of work for staff to take. Mm -hmm. And I guess throughout that time also um, leave the ward or sort of leave the trust. And it felt like at one point, you know, every week I was having to go up to the trust, reintroduce the study. That did get quite frustrating at times. Um, but I think, you know, I'd made some quite close links with, you know, some key people early on in the project so they were the yeah. kind of people that I could go back to um, you know for support when some of the other people left and you know I definitely would have liked to have got more engagement from the staff but I think you know just taking in consideration the, the constraints on staff I think that realistically speaking I probably did get the most engagement that was humanly possible from them and, you know at the end of the day they were able to attend all the events and see the film 
And and I think what you're touching on are the very real challenges of doing real world research. This is applied health research, isn't it? This Absolutely. is in the real world, not in a laboratory. And you're working within a context which is facing enormous challenges and and trying to get people to engage with the research project in that is a challenge. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I know we greatly appreciate those people who help and support us in, in uh, the NHS or anywhere else where we're doing this this research. Um, just just briefly, um, how about the coronavirus pandemic? Did, has that had an impact on your work? Um, so, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, uh, the work was affected by coronavirus. Um, I think I was quite lucky in the sense that um, I pretty much completed all of the co-design events. Um, I just needed to sort of get some more feedback on one of the last iterations of the prototype. And thankfully that was able to be done via email. Mm -hmm. But sadly, um, uh, the pandemic's meant that I haven't actually been able to implement the intervention into practice. You know, we had planned to do that in March. That sort of was right as the pandemic hit. Yeah. And I think I think along with many other researchers, we're all trying to adapt and adjust and and work out what we can do during this this period, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. So now, experience-based co-design that sounds complicated enough, but you also use something called the behaviour change wheel. Now, can you explain what that is and how you used it? Sure. Um, so basically, the behaviour change wheel—it's a guide, um, and it can be used to sort of systematically design behaviour change interventions. And it's quite a comprehensive framework because it brings together uh, 19 other behaviour change frameworks into one. Um, and I guess sort of broadly speaking, um, it follows these three uh, like overarching phases. Um, so first of all, uh, you need to sort of get an understanding of the behaviours that you want to change. And then secondly, uh, you need to identify intervention options. And then from that, uh, you identify content of what's actually going into the intervention. Um, and I guess the will, it, it's sort of based really around what's called the COMBI model. And this suggests that uh, a person's capabilities, opportunities and motivation to interact um, or sort of interact to influence behaviours. Um, and then you can use this model to really explore sort of like the context that the intervention is going to be um, implemented into. Um, and then the will can also be used to um, like identify what we call intervention functions. And these are basically sort of like the way that the intervention can change behaviour. Am I right in thinking this has come very much from the sort of psychology, health psychology world? It has, yeah, yeah, yes. And so it's so it's very much about trying to underpin any interventions with, with theory uh, and an understanding of what uh, areas need attention and, 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 and what interventions might best uh, result in an impact. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's all about kind of understanding the theory behind the intervention and like the mechanisms of actions. Okay. Could you give us one example of what that might look like in, in a real world example? Um, so in terms of uh, my the intervention that we developed, so um, one of the sort of barriers that we found um, to therapeutic engagement in general on the ward, um, and we found this out through conducting interviews with staff and the service users, was that, you know, some of the staff felt like they weren't really equipped with the skills that they needed to, um, uh, like, engage in, in a manner that, you know, was going to be helpful for service users. So uh, we identified that as, you know, their capability uh, to engage. So from that, um, we matched that with 
with an intervention function, which was um, education. Because, you know, to increase a capability, you might need to educate someone on how to do it. And then from that, um, you know, some of the sort of content of the intervention was like this training film we, we developed, um, which was based around uh, this model of engagement, which we published as part of an integrative review at the beginning of the study. Mm -hmm. So on reflection, um, the approaches you've taken in your, your study, do, uh, have they been useful? Have they been successful? Would you recommend them for others? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think absolutely they've been successful and they were all really, really useful. Um, I think, you know, in retrospect, obviously using so many different frameworks and models, et cetera, uh, definitely has its challenges. Um, but, you know, personally, I did find the approach quite useful. Behaviour change will is very systematic and it's methodical. And I think it really helped us to sort of fill in the gaps within the intervention toolkit, sort of like particularly in terms of like ensuring that we designed the intervention uh, to address all of the barriers. EBCD was excellent in terms of understanding what people's experiences were. And then I think, you know, that was it was quite a creative process, the EBCD process got us to a certain sort of extent. And then, like I say, then the behaviour change bill came in. Okay. Um, I know you're producing a lot of um, research papers, which I'll, I'll say more about in a moment. Um, but um, have you got any other plans now? What, what's ahead for you? So, yeah, I mean, right at this very moment, um, I am frantically trying to write up this PhD, getting my teeth stuck into that, um, and, you know, writing the papers um, and waiting for them to be peer-reviewed. And then in terms of what's going to happen after this project, um, so I've been actually really lucky to secure a job within the trust uh, that I conducted this research at. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so that will be in the role of an improvement coach. And basically I'll be coaching uh, some of the clinical teams uh, within the trust to conduct their own quality improvement projects. Um, and I think what I'm really hoping as well is that maybe we'll be able to use the intervention uh, as part of this role um, and, you know, implement it into teams and then test it as part of one of the quality improvement projects. That, sound, that sounds great. I wish you luck with that. And I know from uh, having seen you working on this on this study, um, I think you've, you've probably developed an enormous amount of skills, particularly around the collaborating and involving service users and staff in developing and improving services. And I think those skills will be incredible incredibly valuable in the NHS so I wish you luck with that. Oh absolutely I'm definitely going in there and advocating 100% for service user involvement so that's going to be my little thing. <laughs> Thank you very much for the interview Sarah. Uh, I, I'm sure this is going to be very interesting for, for people. That was Sarah McAllister talking about her use of experience-based co-design and the behaviour change will. Her first publication from this work, which develops a conceptual model of nurse-patient therapeutic uh, engagement on acute mental health boards, is available open access in the International Journal of Nursing Studies. And we will uh, link to that on the Quark website. Now, the Quark website is uh, just been launched. Um, you just type in quahrc.co.uk and you will find that glorious website with lots of information up there, lots more podcasts to come, and um, we'll link in with other publications as they arise from, from Sarah's work. And uh, so I hope you'll find lots of interesting things there. So um, do share this podcast with your colleagues and anyone you think 
might be interested and look out for upcoming information on the new website. Thanks again, Sarah, and thanks everyone for listening. No problem. Thank you.